Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Brain Fuel is a cerebral beverage that helps you find your flow state, enhance mental focus, and cognitive endurance. Elevate the brain and the body. To get yours, visit brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com, and enter the code LIFO15 at checkout for your 15% off discount, L-I-F-O-1-5, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel and here with Lizzie Seedhouse. We are really excited to talk about uh, what the USL is doing. Um, they've announced a new league uh, just here shortly and also um, the USL's Forever Proud project that Lizzie's been spearheading and um, certainly she's been busy, uh, a lot going on. So nonetheless, Lizzie, welcome. Hi, Jake. Thank you for having me today. I'm super excited to be a guest on the podcast and, and dive into the Forever Proud Project and, and the W League with you today. Absolutely. And, and Lizzie, you've been with the USL for you know, a little over six years. And you know, obviously, from a landscape perspective, you've, you've seen a lot uh, in terms of what you, how you've been able to grow, what you've been able to accomplish, um, but some really exciting things that are happening now and kind of into the future. Um, let's start with, you know, the launch of the W League and, um, you know, how did that come to fruition? Obviously, it's not just a, a quick snap of a finger to make it happen. Yeah, it's a good question. It, it's been a project and something we've been working on at the league at, at HQ for over two years and that I've been like really involved in. And it kind of spurred out of um, a desire from our teams and our clubs to, to get into the women's game and provide more opportunities, but then looking to the league to provide guidance on like how to do it the best way, right? Like how to do it in a sustainable way, because we know if we built a women's league that wasn't going to stick around for a long time, that would harm the game more than it would do good, right? And so they, they tasked us with what could this look like, like economically and, and like what does the player pipeline look like and what is the, the gap in the women's soccer landscape, Right. And like what and where does USL fit into all of that? Right. And I think that was the the fun part is like this discovery phase early on of like really diving into women's soccer. I, I played in college uh, for for five years, um, but I you know didn't have anywhere to play afterwards. So I had this like firsthand experience of like there is a gap there unless you're an elite Olympian or pro player. There is nothing really there for for the athlete after college. So, so yeah, it's it's been a hike. It's been a journey for two years, and, and continuing it through the pandemic. You know, um, while you're trying to keep everything else afloat and move, moving smoothly, but we're here. We we've launched and we're really excited. So I'm I'm pleased that we're we're over the finish line with that part. Yeah, and and from a soccer standpoint, right? Obviously, soccer has been booming over the last couple of years. It's always been growing, but I mean, it's really you know the MLS has continued to expand. You know, you guys have continued to expand the the NWSL, you know, formed as well. And so there's just there's a lot going on. But how do you plan to kind of mesh all of it together in that, you know, yes, there's the NWSL, then you have your league. Like where where are the boundaries? You know, who who goes where? Uh, if you're a women's soccer player, you know, at the collegiate level, how do you decide where you get to go? How you know, how does that work? Yeah, I think um, something that part of our discovery process was like, what does the landscape need? And obviously NWSL has 
the top tier of elite athletes in, in some major markets, right? And they're, they're doing a really good job in that space. So we looked below there and looked to like what our teams were able to offer. Um, and then what we, you know, what we're really good at doing is, is running leagues, right? Uh, but we never ran a women's league before. So we brought in uh, a consultant who was an ex-Olympian and ex-pro player uh, who pay, played in our Form W League and found this gap of like what's not fully missing is like opportunities to play soccer, but maybe opportunities to develop uh, and work in soccer after after your pro playing career, right? So there are like 39,000 collegiate women soccer players and only 40 get drafted every year. So there's this massive gap of like, where do elite players go if you're not in the top 100? And, and, and how do you keep playing? But then also like, how do you build the skills to have a career in soccer or off, off the pitch? afterwards right I think um you know a lot of these players go through college and, and have like a certain level of skills but can we do more for you while you're playing I think that's where the W League comes in to a little bit of a, a space whether other amateur or pre-professional women's leagues but we we're going to do something differently and we have this like expertise in in running leagues and building successful clubs as well yeah and obviously you're starting at eight and you know the markets themselves, we'll get into kind of how you get to those markets and, and why. And that's always, I think, a, a fun tidbit. But as you think about current systems that exist across sports leagues, right, you, you know, affiliates, quote unquote, where they maybe move up from one level to another, will that exist or is, is or will it be its own complete separate entity where, um, you know, the team, you know, a team in the NWSL could sign a player, but there is no, you know, quote unquote promotion per se. Yeah, I think it's more, it, it lives in its own own silo right now. And, and obviously like our athletes would be collegiate level athletes. So they, they could go on to get drafted similar to our league two on the men's side where there is that that room to like play in league two and then move up to the pros. So, and we certainly hope that for all of our players, we want to attract like the best talent. Um, and I think, you know, circling back to your early question of like, you know, what can, can we offer as USL is um, we've got, you know, pro team ownership, right. And opportunities to play in professional environments, like, uh, you know, like Hartford athletic stadium, right. And, and play in what could be full of 10,000 people, you know, we, we can offer a different experience to a lot of the, the other like venues and, and operations that we've seen like, you know, amateur women's soccer have so far. And from a location perspective, how do you go about picking teams, where you're playing? Obviously, there's there's some nuances there, right? Yeah, there is. And it's not just as simple as, oh, I'm a USL franchise owner. I want a women's team, right? And so there's an onboarding process. We create this league with gender equity in mind and creating more, more opportunities for women. So we have to make sure that our ownership and leadership want to be involved in women's soccer for the right reason. They're not just seeing the Women's World Cup coming up. And, you know, like teams like Angel City FC doing this really great job and lending all these sponsors. Like, I want a piece of that money too. It's got to be like, what are your principles and values and, and why do you want to be involved in women's soccer? And, and so that's part of the, the process too, is we vet clubs out that they're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, and then like, it, it's got to make sense geographically, right? Like I mentioned being sustainable. It, it doesn't make sense to, you know, have uh, a team in LA travel to a team in New York for, for that level of, of soccer, right? So we'll be working in like hyper-regional pockets and we'll be creating out divisions of, of six to eight teams. And we'll just be planting, you know, kind of um, anchors around the country, right? And we'll start building up from there with the hope to have uh, about 30 teams next year. 
3-0, correct? 3-0. Yeah, we've got eight right now. Uh, a lot of interest, uh, but just, you know, working through vetting process logistics and again, making sure that they're in the right region to make sense to add them to the league. If not, they might need to wait a year and then come in when that region's more developed. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned something from the career development perspective earlier, right? So if you have this expansion in teams, there's got to be people to run them. There's got to be people to sell tickets. I mean, so on and so on and so forth. So uh, how do you plan to necessarily go about that process? And obviously, that's a, there's a lot of opportunities there from a league perspective. There is. Um, and there's a couple of things we're, we're doing right now. So one is we partnered with Women in Soccer who are this, this incredible group, but very niche, right? Like there aren't a lot of women working in soccer, so very specialized. Um, but the, the goal of that partnership there is for like every W League athlete to automatically become a, net, a member of their networking group. So our athletes will have access to networking and events uh, open to, to that group, right? And, and learn about the possibilities of, of a career in soccer afterwards. And then women in soccer are also going to provide some dedicated training and, and informational sessions just for our athletes, right? And it can be simple things like networking tips or, you know, um, launching your career and finding the best in internships. I think a lot of, of people's career success is about the relationships you build. And so we're trying to bridge that gap a little bit sooner. I think there's things I've learned in my 30s that I wish I knew when I was 21, right? And, and I wish it didn't take me 10 years to learn. So we're going to provide our athletes with different resources and tools and opportunities as a kind of a, a reward of playing in the W League. You know, you, you can play soccer and get certain certifications. Uh, one thing we're looking at is, um, you know, I think 7% of collegiate referees right now are women. Right. So, and we've got, we'll have this pool of female soccer players who would be perfect to be referees, right? Because they know the game and all the laws of it. Right. And they're, they're, and they're fit and they're athletic. So like, how do we bridge that gap and get more women in refereeing? Right. So we're, we're looking to really change the ratio with this league and, and see gaps in the, in the game on the men's and women's side, and then use these athletes of ours to really set them up to, to leap into that if that's what they want to go into. That's really exciting. And, and just a different, different thought, right? And a different approach to it uh, a little bit, but nonetheless, um, brilliant in, in that sense. And uh, I want to switch past to the Forever Proud Project, right? Obviously, June being Pride Month, and um, that's been a work in progress for you as well. You know, being able to have this kind of ongoing year-round initiative to um, increase inclusivity, education, awareness for the um, LGBTQ community, like, what what is this forever proud project on on your side of things how did it come to life um and and for those that are listening um are there certain things that you know you're proud of in terms of this project coming to life that others can maybe take um you know in, in other park pockets of the industry yeah um so forever proud project has been you know Honestly, it's probably been one of those things that's been like always in the works for me for, for three or four years at, at USL, but waiting for the right time to, to launch it. And we needed some, some pieces of the puzzle to fall in place. I think we as a league had to be ready. Like it, it doesn't make sense to launch these initiatives and not do them very well. Um, and, and I'm a lesbian, right? And so I always you know, wanted to do something for Pride Month, but we didn't have a good entry point. We didn't have maybe like the staff or the expertise. So we weren't ready to go full in. And I, I don't believe that pride is just a hashtag or updating your profile picture on social media, right? So um, it took a lot of planning and thoughtfulness of like, what's the best way for us to do this? And then 
Um, it really got catalyzed last year when we had a homophobic slur used in a game and we didn't have, um, you know, we only had reactivity. There was no proactivity. There was nothing in place. It was always like, what's your response to this? And so the Forever Proud Project was born out of USL creating an impact committee, which is made up of USL HQ employees and club leadership to ident identify what's the most important to the league and the clubs and where we should be putting our efforts. And so through that, we formed a LGBTQ plus inclusivity subcommittee, which I, I am on and that born out the Forever Proud project, right? Which is this year round pride is not just the month of June. It's also not just parades and flags and, and all the fun stuff. Um, there are real issues and discrimination and, and challenges that that community faces. And so we want to talk about it a year round. We want to be an ally as a league year round. Uh, and I think one of the, the, the bigger wins we've had out of it is our ability to provide um, options for our clubs, right? That we as a league have respect that the fans in Rio Grande Valley, Texas are very different than the fans in Connecticut and Hartford. And they're super different than the fans in Sacramento. So what each community needs and what that, that, that LGBTQ community needs locally is very different from their club, right? And so we're, we've given clubs this like toolkit and, and we'll continue to give them toolkits explaining the importance of Pride Month or, um, you know, the Stonewall uprising and, and why that happened, right? And we were just providing people with information to drive just more visibility and awareness so they can maybe look at things a little bit differently or, or think about it, or they can reject it and stay where they're at, right? Like it's completely optional, but we've had a lot of success with it. Um, I think my proudest moment is our kickoff day on May 17th, which is International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. Uh, we, the league, launched a Forever Proud pledge, right? And we just said, like, hey, clubs, here's a pledge. If you want to take it, go for it. If you want to craft your own, here's some ideas. If you want to do nothing with it, that's fine. But we actually had 24 pro teams take the pledge, like, not just retweet it, right? Like, actually say, like, I am taking this pledge to, to lead with kindness and end discrimination in soccer. Uh, and then we had another nine teams amplify it. So that's, you know, 80% of our clubs got involved with, with just that and, we had about a hundred fans and players sign up and take the pledge too, right? Which is a slow start, but it's it's awesome because that was never there before. So it's you know it's just it's just exciting to see it take off. You got to start somewhere, right? And then, right. and then momentum builds, and then you know you're able to you know utilize it in probably different ways down the road, maybe even a year from now that you didn't think of when you started it, right? And and from a lessons learned perspective in forming the committees and forming the messaging and forming the toolkits, what's the biggest lesson learned that you've been able to take from it in terms of getting this off the ground? Um, I think the, the humility uh, or that I don't like, you know, know everything, right? And so I've, I've leaned on a lot of our partners like the Trevor Project from Football Versus Homophobia and You Can Play to be like, I need uh, an outside look at this because being someone that's very close to the project, I think you can get too close to your work sometimes. And, you know, um, I want, I want people to critique it and tell me what's wrong with it. And so that was like the, the big learning point for me was like, I, um, uh, I asked for someone's pronouns in the wrong way. And I was like, I'm sorry, like, you know, and now I understand, um, you know, how to go about that in a little bit better manner. So I think there's just this 
um, as long as you're like humble and you're willing to say like, hey, I don't know, I have all the answers, but I'm willing to try and, and use whatever privilege I have to make things happen, then you can make real change. Um, you know, we have members of, of the LGBTQ plus subcommittee that came in and said like, I'm a cisgender white male and I have privilege and I want to use it. And I think that's excellent. Like, let's go, right? Like, I think that that helps us a lot, but we also need this, this diversity in voice as well. Yeah, the, the diversity in perspectives is, is huge. Um, and then when forming some of those committees, right, like you see committees across all sorts of different companies and leagues and so on. And yes, they're a committee, but there's also there's also a formula to some extent for them actually being successful in, pro in producing something and not just being a committee just to be a committee to say you have a committee, right? Yeah. And I, and I know we've all seen some of those. And so um, how do you make sure from the get-go that you've got your objectives kind of, you know, etched in, into that community and, and that you're able to see the results come to fruition? Yeah, I think we started off by identifying where the gaps were, right? And then and what do we need to do to fill those gaps? And then what are our KPIs? And I think it was easy for, for us going into the LGBTQ plus space because we, the league, had never done anything. So everything was a zero to one moment, which was kind of nice. And then year two will be harder because I think We've done a really good job and set the bar high. So now we have to go even further. Uh, but it, it was about like, you know, me coming in and giving the the structure it needed and, and giving people um, time and space to think about things properly, right? So not rushing any decisions. Um, we're all volunteers on this committee, right? Like it's not my main job to do diversity inclusion, even though it's really important. So giving people two or three weeks to like, hey, go away and think about it and, and delegate work out was really important. Because again, it, it can't all just come from me and it can't just come from one perspective. So I think we've had a lot of success being like, hey, clubs, you, you have a unique perspective too. Like, what do you want? What do you see as the best practice? And so um, I've never worked at a club, right? My only experience in soccer has been at the USL. So um, I have, I have, I have one point of view of looking at it. So I think getting more opinions and more feedback from, from different levels of the organization internally and externally has been like super helpful because I think it'd be very easy just to spin your wheels, right. And, and not pre-plan, but we at the Forever Proud project, like we, we lined up our 10 days for the year. So we know what we're doing in August roughly, right. Even though it's just the middle of June. And so we can start working towards that in July and be ready by August to then turn on again in October, which is which is really nice. No, that's a great outlook. And um, I, I wanna transition to our brain fuel segment in that, you know, look, it kind of sounds like from, from the perspective of juggling, you know, multiple parts of the job to starting new leagues, to project, to this, that, and the other, right? You've gotta kind of mentally be able to switch your mind um, from one area of the business to another um, try and look through different lenses, you know, listen to different perspectives. So when you think about mentally preparing for your day, what is, what's kind of your secret to preparing mentally for your day to make sure that you are as productive as you possibly can be? Yeah, good question. I think a couple things like always the day before I, I write down my to-do list for the next day and try and block out times on my calendar so I know that I can get it done. Uh, but I think it's more importantly, like getting in the right mindset. Um, so I was at an event probably over a year ago and we did this, like, what shape are you personality test? And I came up as a circle and a square. Uh, and, and you, you can be both right. Uh, and you typically transition from both. So soft circle people are like 
lovey-feely and attentive and squares are like, I need rules and structure and we need to go. And so at home, I'm a circle. And then when I go to work, I'm a square. And so I think the, the mental preparation of transitioning in and out of those roles as a mother and a wife into this nine or 10 hour workday and then back out of it to come home is super important. So I use my, my commute to listen to music or just to sit in silence sometimes for 45 minutes just to get my head ready for whatever's that coming up that day. And I think that's been like the big help for me is realizing like you need to transition in and out of these different roles for, for different jobs and, and use your time to get ready for it. Yeah, well, I love the circle and square analogy. I mean, obviously there's a lot of tests with colors and this and that, but just, but just the general understanding, right? Of who you are and how you tick and how you work, I think mm -hmm. extremely important. Um, when you think about the most important aspect of of the mental side of working within sports business, mm -hmm. what is that to you? Stamina, I think, right? Working in sports, um, my, my sure. job at the USLA, I was like, oh, I'll come and manage some websites. And nobody told me that I had to work nights and weekends and cover games. And I was like, what is this, right? Like, again, I never worked in sports before. Um, so I was like, oh, this is not, not where I was mentally set up to be. And I, I worked game nights for, I think, maybe 10 weeks straight. And I was like, this is, this is silly. I, like, this is not humanly what I'm built for. Uh, and so we, I've built out a team since then. We have a rotation system so that people aren't burning out. Um, but when you work in digital, like I do, you know, the, the internet never turns off. So there is social media crises going on and, and the, the, the websites are up and the apps are over Christmas break, right? So you're always, kind of working. So I think knowing what your pace is and staying at a set pace rather than sprinting and overloading yourself and then stopping for a week is probably like the healthier way to go about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the digital space, it just keeps going and it also yeah. changes rapidly too, right? Mm -hmm. So you're kind of having to constantly keep up with, you know, the, the digital world um, while still maintaining, you know, a, a peace of mind in, ter in terms of, you know, being okay with what you've got. Exactly. Right. So you're like learning new things like NFTs and, and that space. And in the meantime, like also my team works social media coverage on games, right. And we're doing creative and video at the same time. So you're going into like, I need to be live in the game in the moment, reacting to what's happening. And is that going well? And then what are we doing in five years from now when the world cup's here? <laughs> It's quite, it's quite the thought, thought path change. Um, if you could, if you could have the brain of one individual for one day uh, that you admire that, that you've been able to play with, whatever the case might be, um, what, who, who would that be? So I thought about this and I think, you know, you probably got a lot of answers about like, you know, really brilliant people, like maybe like an Albert Einstein or like astronauts or a president. But like, I, I thought about this. And I was like, I want my daughter's brain. She's six years old. She has the best sense of humor. Like her timing is incredible. She's really witty, but she's incredibly smart as well for, for her age. And so she's just very geared in, very like, you know, always cracking through things and challenging herself and getting out of her comfort zone, which is like this great role model. I think kids have this you know, this perspective of like, I can do anything, you know what I mean? They're, they haven't been ruined by adults yet of like what these like fake limitations could be. So yeah, I, I would take my daughter's brain for a day. Also like being six and eating popsicles and like, you know, hanging out. Yeah, that's <laughs> not, seems that's like a, not a bad day. life. That's not a bad life. 
I mean, when you think about the limitations, that's actually a really interesting point. And I was not expecting that answer at all. So, uh, you know, thank you for sharing. But, you know, when you think about the perspective of I can do anything, mm-hmm. how do you then try and take that approach to what you do as well? Um, yeah, I think, um, I think I can do anything. I believe that. I think it's not possible, right? And I think one of my like superpowers, well, one of my superpowers is problem solving. I think the other one, like to, to stay productive is like saying no, right? Like I can do anything, but I can't do everything, right? And I think I've fallen in, in the habit of, uh, of, of being a woman and trying to take on like a lot more work to prove myself in, in a men's men's landscape uh that i've taken too much on in the past and done like a lot of things mediocre right rather than doing three things like exceptionally well and so i yeah i think i can do anything but i don't need to do everything that that people ask me to do you know what i mean and so just being picky and selective with my time so i can put like all my best work into the projects that are big zero to one moments or, or that you know take usl from you know from, from 40 teams to 50 teams or whatever that looks like, right? Just giving, just putting your effort in the right place, I think is really important. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Well, really appreciate the time, insights and thoughts and perspectives, you know, obviously on the launch of the W League, uh, the launch of the Forever Proud Project, Lizzie, super um, incredible work and, and certainly look forward to seeing the next 22 teams. Uh, as you, you know, you mentioned 30, you kind of just threw that number out there. So we'll see, uh, what what other locations pop up in the future no it'll be exciting and jake thank you for having me today it's been a pleasure to to meet you and talk through this stuff thanks for listening to today's episode on the life in the front office podcast powered by brain fuel remember you can get 15 percent off your next purchase at brainfuel.com b-r-e-i-n fuel.com with the code lifeo15 l-i-f-o-1-5 at checkout and if you like brain fuel give us a shout out comment share and leave a review and a reminder to get your copy of lol loss of logo what's your next move our new book written by andy dolich and your host jake hirschman If you go to mascotbooks.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll receive 50% off at your checkout or available on Amazon, ebook, and print.